Welcome to the Run Run Live 4.0 podcast, where we plumb the daily adventure of endurance sports. Let us seize this precious moment together and squeeze the life from it like a golden lemon sent to us fresh today from the emissaries of the gods. Terribly happy guy Then he ate a moldy pumpkin pie Then he thought that he just couldn't die So Ned, he laughed so hard and made him cry Made him Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Run Run Live podcast, episode 4-403. How is everyone doing? Are you reinvigorated for this new year? No? No? Feeling the cold winter doldrums? Well, snap out of it. Put on your big pants. Suck it up, buttercup. There are roads to be run. There are adventures to be had. There are people to see. People like Marnie, who we talked to today who did what we all want to do. She took two of her passions, running and art, and she mixed them all together with community to form a little tribe and a little business. It's a sweet story. I like it. And, by the way, that was a 56-word-long sentence. Vladimir Nabokov would be proud of me. Who needs grammar? It just slows the creative flow. The first written languages, they had no grammar. They were just strings of words. That's why you needed priests to read them and interpret them. I suppose that's not unlike our current internet. Anyhow, back to our story and what a story it is. I am neck deep and two months out from my 21st Boston Marathon. And my training is going as well as can be expected. I'm getting all the workouts in. I'm light. I'm strong. I weighed in this morning at 172.8 pounds with 9.9% body fat. And those are random numbers without some context. So what's the baseline here? Well, if I compare myself to my PR years, you know, a couple decades ago when I raced uh, the lightest I ever got was in the mid to low 180s, but as you get old, you lose muscle mass, so the numbers change. And just looking at my body comp, my body composition right now at 173-ish pounds versus then at 185-ish pounds, I'd say they're close to equivalent, meaning I've lost about 10 pounds of body mass somewhere over the last 20 years. And I'm sure some is muscle mass, some is random fat storage, and some is just the shrinking of my brain. Because we all know that people start losing their minds as they get older, right? Right? They just lose their brains. Kurt Vonnegut referred to the six pounds of brain 
in the human skull, dismissively as nothing more than a dog's breakfast. And as for body fat percentage, what does 9.9% mean? Well, a healthy male is not going to get much leaner than 3 to 6%. They call that essential body fat. That's how much you need to live. 3 to 5%, 3 to 6%. 5% is often quoted as the apex of physical lean fitness, the gold standard for men. And 6 to 10%, that's considered athletic for men. So I could go down a couple more percentages there. Women, well, they're, you know, they're designed differently. And normally, the key word there, ladies, normally it's normal to have this extra fat. Uh, they're typically, you take those numbers and add 7 to 9% to those numbers. And that's uh, the fat percentages you're looking for across the board on all those numbers for women. In section one, I will talk about listening to your bodies. And in section two, I'll talk about a book I read called The Subtle Art of Not Giving an F.U. Ah, you get it. I'll have to figure out how to say that to not offend anybody. The actual title of the book, it's F asterisk C.K. So, and aster is, of course, Latin for star. So an asterisk is a little star. What I love about Marnie's story is that she took a personal adventure running around her neighborhood and turned that into a thing. So you don't have to get on an airplane or cross an ocean to have a adventure, a fulfilling adventure. Adventures are all around you. You just have to reach out and grab them. You might even say the adventure is within you. On with the show. It is when we learn to leave our comfort zone that we find ourselves communing with our inner strength. Listening to your body. Most coaches and sage advisors will tell you to listen to your body. It seems on the surface like good advice. But is it really? How do you listen to your body? How do you listen to the things that are important and use them to make changes that you will benefit from? How do you sort the signal from the noise? Like so much of the advice old-timers like me dish out, the listen-to-your-body trope is vague enough to mean almost anything. It's very nonspecific. But specifically what we mean is that you need to pay attention to all the signals that you can get from your body. Your brain, it's up on top. It's a control tower. Think of it as a big room filled with PhDs poring over big blinking monitors with data streaming past. That's your role as CEO of this body. You're going to watch the data feeds and then perform analytics on them. And then you're going to see if you need to take corrective action. And I would guess there are two main categories of listening that we're referring to. Active listening, which is during the, the active training or racing. And passive listening, which is when you're not actively working or racing. When you are actively training, listening to your body means paying attention to how you feel. What are your energy levels? 
what's your mental energy? What's your mental state? When you hit a hard workout, what fails first? Your legs, your breathing, or your mental energy? And this is a bit of a checklist, a mental checklist. As you enter and perform that workout, you want to periodically, mentally, note down the answers to these questions, especially at the failure points. What is failing first? Because this first thing to fail is going to be your weak link, and that is an opportunity for focusing your training. So you have a mental checklist for racing as well. How do I feel right now? How is my breathing? How are my legs? Does anything feel like it's too close to the edge? And these sort of questions will allow you to compensate mid-race and adjust to the feedback. Then in between races and training, you're still monitoring the data that your body is sending. What aches and pains? What hurts from yesterday's workout? How tired do I feel today? Are there any pains or hot spots that I need to look into? Are my legs fatigued when I climb the stairs? And these days, you don't have to depend on just general feelings. You have hard, captured, physiological data to work with. Your running watch or your app will give you your pace, your time, your elevation, and hopefully your heart rate. And if you are disciplined, you can add to this with basic nutritional and health data. Try to capture and log your weight, your body fat, the number of hours of sleep, and your resting pulse every morning when you get up. All of these things over time will give you a baseline. This is your starting point or reference point that you can then compare to the data you capture today. Without any data, without any baseline, you're essentially guessing. Without data, you will have a hard time attributing it back to a cause and making those corrections. So let's imagine, for an example, you go out for a run today and you feel terrible and you have to walk back to the barn in shame. So what happened? You don't know. Unless you have some data, you just won't know. And why do you care? Because if you can diagnose the problem, you might be able to take corrective action. In our example, you might say, gee, that run sucked, but I guess I'll just run harder tomorrow to make up for it. Now, there's no way to know if that's a good or a bad idea if you don't have data. Instead, let's say I didn't get enough sleep and I woke up with a high heart rate. I would be on the lookout that I might be getting sick. Resting heart rate is a great indicator for when you're coming down with a cold. We might decide that hitting it hard tomorrow is a really bad idea, right? Let's see if this heart rate corrects itself. Some of the data isn't directly measurable, and for softer things like how much energy do you have, you can create a 1 to 5 or a 1 to 10 scale to track the relative measurements. And what you're looking for is change, right? You're looking for what is different, what has changed. Is something better or worse? And then you can backtrack to see what you did differently that might have caused that. And for example, last week, my knees were achy. My knees are never achy. I've never had knee problems. So I said, something's different, right? What have I been doing differently? And it turns out I have been doing a very aggressive quad stretch every day. There you go. Problem solved. I stopped doing that. Knees don't ache. You also have to be on the watch out for phantom pain. <laughs> Not all of this, uh, of these signals from your body when you listen are real. 
it takes some experience to be able to tease out what ache might be a potential injury or just a phantom ache, especially during taper weeks or unplanned downtime. And one of the advantages of being a good listener and practicing listening is that it gives you the ability to separate that signal, true signal, from the everyday noise. And that's so that's the tactical bit, right? When we tell you to listen to your body, we mean collect as much relevant data consistently as you can. So you have a baseline, and then you can do basic cause and effect analytics and potentially influence the actions you take as a result. Measure, analyze, act. But that's not all we mean. The deeper meaning of listening to your body is not about measuring. It is about cultivating the ability to listen. Ooh, now we're getting deep. One of the most powerful things you can do as an athlete is develop a deep mind-body connection. And this only comes with practice. This requires some focus. And that focus really requires silence. As much fun as it is to have a podcast playing when you're out working in the woods, you know, that extra noise in your head, especially when you add it to the noise that's already in your head, makes it hard to pay attention to what your body is telling you, right? It masks the feedback. So part of your training should be to spend some time really focused on how your body feels during workouts and racing. Focus on listening. Be open to those signals. Don't try to avoid the effort. Become an observer of the effort. That takes a similar but different checklist. And what I would recommend is similar to a meditation technique where you simply and mindfully take inventory. Start with the toes and work your way up through the head, pausing to listen and feel what is your body saying to you. And then listen to your breathing, feel your heart working in your chest, feel your feet grabbing the trail. Don't just listen. Immerse yourself in the sensory wash of your workout or your race. And what you'll find is you stop fighting it. You integrate your mind and your body into one process. And you can observe the cause and the effect of your efforts. You become comfortable with the feedback. And by the way, if you've ever experienced flow state or the runner's high, as they call it, or if you want to, this type of practice will help you get there. So, my friends, go find a quiet trail, ditch all the electronics, and spend some time listening to your body and celebrating the mind-body connection. And now for today's featured interview. So, Marnie, I don't know how I ended up following you on Instagram. I was struck by how beautiful some of the art and the stuff that you were posting. And uh, so I wanted to talk to you about it. So when you give me the 200 words on who you are and what you do and, and how you got into this. Sure. My name is Marnie. I'm the founder of Run Street Art Runs and I lead street art running tour experiences in New York and now in other cities as well. And I got into it because I'm a running coach and I had moved to New York in 2012 and I started running and finding all these art on my runs wherever I lived. I kind of bounced around for a while and people 
on Instagram and social media, I was posting the art a lot and they were asking me where I found stuff. So then I thought, well, I should organize an art run because I already had a running group in Brooklyn that I had started. But then I thought we should have specifically go to look at the murals for people to learn yeah, about so, them. So I have a lot of questions here. So where do you find these things? Because this isn't like museums or the standard stuff. These are uh, like these striking murals that you find out in the city somewhere. How do you source this stuff? That's a good question. So a lot of it is just literally by running around. <laughs> and then also I started to get to know different artists and more about them and go to some of their shows. Like now they have street art shows where they have an opening at a gallery or something. And so I'll find out sometimes directly from the artists. They'll notify me if they have a new mural up or just by following on Instagram a lot of the artists and then also people who are into the street art. And then I kind of will look stuff up if through geotagging and through running. A lot of times I'm in areas that have a lot of art now. So when I'm in those areas, I see when they put up new murals. For people who don't live in New York City or live in a city, explain to us what one of these murals is and, and what its function is in the community and what it typically looks like. Yeah, sure. The murals, they're usually very large scale, so usually they do them like it's planned out where a business or a nonprofit, sometimes a school or sometimes an art organization will commission the mural, so they'll pay an artist to come do it or the artist will volunteer to do it. So most of these are legal murals and they're like kind of like outdoor art where it's just like a huge wall of bigger piece of art and it ranges in all different subjects so it could be anything from like a tribute to a local person or someone who died through more all the way up to like portrait of a celebrity or little messages about love or there's one that has angel wings and then it has a thing where someone can stand in the middle and it looks like they have wings so they get very creative and the art varies a lot. Yeah. So what was the point when you were running around that this idea came to you? Because you originally came at it from the running side, but do you have an art background as well? No, I don't. Well, I have a degree in creative writing, so I've always been a writer, but I like art. And then my mom used to like doing art for fun. She never called herself an artist, but we used to go to museums and stuff uh, pretty much when I was growing up. So I guess I always liked art, but I never consider myself an expert either. I think what I like about street art is it's very accessible so everyone can see it and it's just something that brightens up your day or makes your run more exciting and it kind of adds variety I think to the runs because I'm someone who gets bored pretty easily so if I do the same route every day it gets kind of monotonous and the art's a good way to make it more interesting and it's almost like a game, like a scavenger hunt, where you're trying to see where yeah. the next art is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. That would be fun. You can say, uh, let's go find some treasure somewhere, right? And it sort of drives yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. When you have people go out with you and you lead one of these, what's your typical crew look like? Are you starting um, to get some interesting people from out of town? Or, I mean, how's that sort of evolve? Yeah, we do. We get people from all over and especially for events like say we do a shakeout run for the New York Marathon and then we'll have people from Italy and people from Brazil and people from all over who are here for the marathon and then we've also had tourists from all over 
I've also done like one-on-one art runs with people and and I've had people from Qatar and people from the UK and it's been a really fun way to meet people and it is pretty eclectic group of people. Usually it's people who are kind of adventurous and open-minded and they like to travel or try new things. But I was surprised. We get a lot of New Yorkers too on the runs and quite a few repeat runners who come back. And I wasn't surprised because it's not fun, but I just thought that to me, I guess, because I've learned so much of the art, sometimes I forget that people don't know about different neighborhoods or different areas. And it's a good way even for local New Yorkers to see different neighborhoods. And sometimes they'll even say, oh, I had no idea this was in my neighborhood. I'll have to come back here or stuff like that. Yeah, that's the interesting thing about the big city is it's still very tribal, right? These little neighborhoods, people will never leave the little neighborhood, right? And that it's interesting that way it's compartmentalized. Yeah, yeah. Like I've had people come to a Brooklyn art run and they've never been to Brooklyn or never passed a certain part of Brooklyn. So, or people who come to Harlem art runs who don't go to Harlem normally. And I guess people get so busy and then they get kind of caught up in their routine and their neighborhood and their work and that's it. So out-of-towners ever afraid because it's like the big city? You never know what can happen, right? Do they ever get afraid to go out into places with you? I mean, I've had a few who were like on small art runs where it was just them. And then when they were waiting for me, sometimes they didn't know if the neighborhood was safe. But I think it's also... As an outsider, sometimes it's hard to tell in New York what's safe and what's not because everything looks big or crowded or dirty or whatever. So I had to just kind of reassure them. We were in the Lower East Side of Manhattan downtown, which has been very gentrified like a lot of Manhattan. But I guess if you're an outsider, it might look crazy or something. So, yeah, I just had to kind of reassure them. And they were fine when we were on the run. And I think having a local person there makes them feel better because they realize they're not just like wandering around aimlessly on their own or something. Yeah, right. No, that makes it all very safe. So I can see that, though, because New York's a scary place, especially because you're always going to have some random person. There's a lot of people there, right? And you could have some random person wandering by yelling at you you in the language you don't know or whatever, right? There's just a lot going on. And native New Yorkers have this sort of hard shell to all that stuff. But if you're from the outside, it can be overwhelming. Right. Yeah, because you really can't control. You never know who's going to wander by, like you said. So do you use the trains to get from place to place as well when you're out in these adventures to tie all this stuff together? No, we just run. And I think it's so dense here that we're able to do it. And I just kind of plan it around neighborhoods that have big art projects because there's some that have specific art parks. Or I plan it, yeah, just around neighborhoods that have a lot of murals. And um, so we're able to just run. And we've done the same in other cities, too, where sometimes some cities it is more spread out. So that's a challenge. But usually there's certain, there's pockets where there's a lot of art. Like the most spread out runs we've done would be a point-to-point run where, say, like we did one in Boston from downtown Boston. And then we ended in Cambridge. So it was point-to-point and then people could see a lot of art, but we didn't have to circle back for like to make it eight miles or something. Yeah. When I used to work in the city, I'd actually go out and run the Freedom Trail at lunch 
and uh, it's only like a 10k. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know what I you Boston's a tiny city compared to New York. I mean geographically, so you could do all of Boston on a run. New York, you have to yeah. chunk up, and there's other cities like that, like London. You can do a lot of London in a six mile loop. You don't realize it when you're looking at the city, but when you get out there, it depends on how the city's laid out, right? Right. Yeah. Some cities are more runnable than others. Yes. So what other cities are you uh, doing these uh, tours in? We've done Chicago, which also has a lot concentrated in different neighborhoods. And then we've also done Atlanta. I lived in Atlanta for a while. I used to be a journalist there and okay. it's changed a lot. And they ha- Yeah. And they have a lot of street art. So that was fun to go back and see all the new art there. And we did that before the Atlanta Marathon. And then we've done Miami, which has Wynwood Walls, which is a huge art project, which is really cool there. So that a couple times. And then Boston and Philly. So Philly has yeah, a lot see of Philly. public art. Yeah. Philly's another old city like Boston, so you can get a lot into a small footprint. Right. Yeah. So give me your top five art installations here that you personally like to go by. So a little little bit of talk about those. Yeah, I like the Bushwick Collective. It's a big one in Brooklyn. It's in Bushwick and it is some people think it's a little overhyped because now it's become such a big thing where they have a yearly block party and like big sponsors and companies who sponsor it and but they bring in artists from all over the world and it's really cool to see it's like block and block after block of murals. So that's one of my favorites for a big concentrated area of art. And then also in Manhattan, I like First Street Green Art Park. And that's one that's like on the border of the Lower East Side and East Village. And they have a whole bunch of murals there that's kind of like a, a rotating outdoor exhibit where they're always changing them. So it's fun to go there. They change them almost like monthly, I'd say. So that's a fun one. And it's a great location that's easy to get to. And then outside of New York, I'd say Wynwood Walls in Miami. It's just as big as the Bushwick Collective. It seems like maybe even bigger and the weather's a lot nicer. So it's fun. Whereabouts in Miami is that? It's in Wynwood. It's a northern suburb of Miami that's become kind of like this hip art area and every year during Art Basel they have painting where mural artists from all over the world come and paint and so that's in December. It reminds me kind of of a Brooklyn type area where they have a lot of bars and restaurants and just art all over and probably like a 10 minute drive because Miami's not that big either so it's like maybe a 10 minute drive to downtown area. Okay. I'm familiar with uh, South Beach and Coral, all the down by the ferry terminal and the cruise ship terminal, but I'd never been up that part of it. It's just above the design district. So it's like north of Midtown. Yeah. So it seemed like these are kind of sort of young, hip neighborhoods that do this sort of thing in these cities. Right. Yeah. So that you're going to get everything else that goes along with the young, hip neighborhoods. So it's probably a pretty good after hours scene and all that kind of stuff going on there as well. I bet it sounds like a lot of fun. So do you go down for the Miami Marathon? I've been before. I've done the Miami Half Marathon, and but I don't go every year necessarily. But now I have someone who can like lead art runs in Miami so that every year we can do a shakeout art run before the marathon. So what's the 
furthest away you've had somebody show up at your door and want to go run around the city? Or where's the furthest away or the most interesting patron that you've had? I would probably say, well, I've had people from Australia, which might be the farthest. And then someone from who lives in the UAE. I think she was from Dubai. And so that was also interesting. And then a lot from all over. And it's fun when we do Miami, we get people from all over South America. And I've met people who have running groups in other countries in Peru or other places. And that was pretty fun to meet leaders of other running groups. And I met one guy who he's training for the Olympics and he was from, I think it was Colombia. And he only spoke Spanish, but he had a runner with him who translated. So we kind of talked about stuff through the translator and that was fun. And it's fun to follow his journey because he posts about his training for the Olympics and stuff. So you're originally uh, a runner and a running coach. What's your running background? Yes, I ran growing up um, originally from St. Louis and um, I ran cross country and track growing up. And then in college, my college was division three, so it wasn't like super competitive, but I still ran. And then after it just kind of became ingrained where it was a habit and it was my way of stress release and socializing and having fun. And so I've been running since then. And and then I kind of did it as a side job. I got certified as a running coach and I started Run Street in 2010 as a running blog, but I wanted to have more authority for my training articles, even if I knew a lot of the stuff from experience, but I wanted to get certified yeah. as a coach to make it official. So then I got certified and then I trained a team for the Crohn's Foundation Team Challenge in St. Louis to do a Vegas rock and roll half marathon. And that was really fun. And that was my first big group that I trained. And then since then, I've trained a lot of like one-on-one and small group stuff. And I taught a running boot camp for a while. So I've pretty much just been running and training people since, I guess, for a while now. So this is a full-time gig for you now? Yeah. So with the running and the art runs, it's full-time now and the blogging and stuff. So you're going to have to figure out how to become an executive versus uh, the person out there dragging people around. You're going to have to get uh, some staff and all the administration and stuff, right? That's a rough transition. Right, yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm working on. This year is the big transition year. So, yeah, it's a lot. And then with doing your own business, it's learning how to wear many different hats from everything from finance stuff to marketing and advertising and stuff. So, yep, But it's been absolutely. fun. Yeah. Yeah. So what's your vision? My vision would be to have people leading the runs in a lot of different cities in the U.S. And and I would like to start doing some in London and doing some in Europe. I think that would be a great eventually hop. But first, I need to make sure everything's running smooth in the U.S. And just to be able to bring art runs to more people so more people can learn about the art and get out. And it's a great way for people who are beginning runners to to kind of experience running in a non-intimidating, like non-competitive way. So we've had people on runs who say they've never run a 5K because a lot of our runs are 5K. And it's great to see them afterwards. They're so excited, like, oh, I did my first 5K. And so it kind of spreads the love of running and also the love of art and 
we're able to work with artists in different neighborhoods too. So, so that's great to be able to hire artists to do shirt designs or live painting at events or different stuff like that that we've had. It's such a great way to explore a city. I've traveled most of my career, and, and what I'll do is I'll just get up in the morning and put my shoes on and head out and just explore, get lost mm-hmm. in the city. Because you can cover so much of a city in six to eight miles, even if you get lost. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah it, right. It's just a, yeah, it's such a great way to experience a city because you're experiencing not only the city itself, but you're experiencing the smells and the sounds and, you know, the, the weather and everything when you're out there and you're in the city, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you learn it so much better than if you just drove by or something, you wouldn't remember half that stuff. Right. And so, and it's a good, I can see where it would be great for beginners because you could jog to an art installation and then stand around for five minutes while you're talking about the art installation, right? So it's uh, right. it's almost like a built-in, very sort of restful running with a lot of breaks in it, right? Yeah, exactly. So you have to you'll have to come up with a an app so people can do this on their own. Yeah. Run the the route. Yeah, that would be great, and it would be fun to see everyone's photos and stuff too from their runs. People pick out different stuff. It's fun, even from the runs we go on to see what people decide they want to post, and you get a lot of different perspectives. That's cool, and I can see you doing other things besides. So there's so much going on in cities, right? You could do other, and I've seen this too. You've seen as well other kinds of things besides the art, right? You could do all sorts of historical and and different stuff like that. Yeah, it's cool getting yeah. people out there. Yeah, like in Chicago, they have such a great architecture, and an architecture yeah. run would be cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, I'll let you uh, skedaddle this morning, but what are the website links and how the, all the social media stuff? It's Run Street, so it's one word. So runstreet.com, and then on there, there's an events tab where you can see all the upcoming art runs. And then our social media is also Run Street, so it's Run Street Instagram, um, Run Street Facebook, and Run Street Twitter. So. How come when I see you on Instagram, it's Nomadic Marnie? Oh, yeah. So that's my personal Instagram. And then the okay. Art Run official one is Run Street. So, but okay. yeah, you could. All right. I do link them a lot or I tag myself. Yeah. No, because that's what I saw with all the pictures and stuff. When I was just glancing at it, it looked to me like you were in like France or something, right? Because some of these murals were so spectacular. I'm like, that can't be here. Right, that's got to be someplace else. <laughs> Looks like you're a tour in the world. Oh, that's great! Yeah, yeah, that's the goal. Would love and to I was do. Thinking, um, oh, I love she, Paris. I was thinking she's one of these people who just said, "All right, I'm going to go run the world and visit all <laughs> these cities and go do stuff." And and because look, I've seen people who do that, right? Right. But yeah. no, that's all in the big city in New York. Yeah, it is. Yeah, except I did go to Mexico City a little over a year ago, and that was great. But, yeah, that's the only international one that I've been to looking for art, you know, in the last few years. Yeah. Hopefully you'll have enough success to be able to spread out and go to different places and meet people and learn things. Yeah. Because that's a lot of fun. You can document all that as well. So that's great. Right. All right. Yeah. Well, what are your upcoming events? What do you got in the next, uh, as we move towards the marathon season here? We have a Brooklyn Love Art Run for February and then... 
in March, it will start getting busy with more events. We'll have like a going green art run with kind of a green theme. And then we'll also, it'll be a plogging art run where we'll pick up trash in the city along the run. And then in April, we have our first dog art run, which will be really fun. And that will be in Brooklyn. And yeah, and that's actually been a fun perk with the art runs too, is it's dog and kid friendly and people have brought dogs before. And we have some regulars who will be there, some some canine regulars, and then hopefully lots of new furry faces too. <laughs> Great. All right. Well, I hope, hope some people go out and find you there because it sounds like a lot of fun. Thank sounds, you. Sounds fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. I'm going to let you go. In fact, you're uh, running around taking pictures and looking at art. All right. All right. Thank you. Thanks for the time. Bye-bye. Bye. Sometimes it takes a third party to tell us what we already know. So this is a book review of sorts of a book called The Subtle Art of Not Giving an F asterisk CK, or as I named the file when I saved it, Life Sucks Then You Die by Mark Manson. <laughs> uh, every generation thinks they are different. Every generation thinks they are going to change the world. And then they get in their 30s. And they start looking for answers to the bigger questions in life. And what they find is that these questions and the answers have always been there. Generation after generation, since the Greeks and the Persians started writing them down. I think this is that book for the kids who grew up in the 90s at the dawn of the internet. Mark, the author, made his way into this world by starting a blog and following that where it took him. And it sounds like a cliché storyline, but that is how he came to this point and this book. He sat down and he started writing. He wrote about his thoughts and his life and the things that troubled him. And it turns out if you do that with enough panache and enough consistency, people will be interested. You'll form a little tribe of celebrity, and it will become a business of sorts. According to the dust cover, he has sold over 2 million copies of this book. 2 million copies. I think that's probably due to the brilliant title, and the timing was right for his generation. There's nothing terribly new in any of the philosophies here. It's a hodgepodge of stuff from Buddhism to Jingoism. But it's the right book at the right time for a generation that is maturing and looking for some direction. Due to its genesis, the prose retains that conversational first-person, bloggy style that we get so much of these days. It's not awful, and it matches well with the subject matter and his style of storytelling. And he uses the F word copiously, like a man joyfully spreading cream cheese on a bagel. The basic appeal of the message is that it gives permission to this generation to stop worrying so much and get out of their own way. I.e., act as if you don't give a F asterisk CK. So guess what? You're nothing special. You're going to die. Life is full of pain and suffering and anxiety. So get over yourself and choose the suffering that leads you to something better for you. 
I guess for a generation that has been told they are unique snowflakes, this is a revelation. The book has also become a favorite of salespeople and business people because it gives them the permission to act as if they don't give a F asterisk CK. This is a form of detachment, and it's quite helpful in business and sales. If you don't give a F asterisk CK, you can detach from the results, and it frees you up to operate in your space effectively without having to worry about consequences so much. And this simple mindset can help eliminate the anxiety people get, which can be paralyzing. I'm not going to write that book because what if I fail? What if people hate it? What if they tell me I'm terrible? Detachment allows you to set all that aside and get on with your life. Write that book. Who cares? Then he proceeds to meander through a melange of Buddhism, nihilism, stoicism. I particularly like the part where he reminds us that life is suffering. There's no getting around it, but you can choose your suffering. That helped me, actually, when I was reading it. I was at a place where I was having a lot of work anxiety, and I got to remind myself that I chose this and could very well choose something else. And he goes on to reiterate the falling forward philosophy that has become a bit fetishized in the last couple decades. But his point is valid. If you don't know what to do, just do something. Fail and figure it out. And while you're at it, don't give a F asterisk CK about the failure. So overall, it's a breezy read, a shallow wading through the philosophy that a new generation needs to hear. And he tells some stories to back up his points and manages to find a couple that I hadn't heard before, although I did have a slap-my-forehead moment when he poached a Tony Robbins story. Makes me feel like an old curmudgeon shouting at the kids to get off his lawn. So guess what, kids? Life sucks, then you die. But that's not the end of the story, kids. It's okay that life sucks, and it's okay that you die. That should make you even more interested in living life like you don't give a F asterisk CK. Okay, now we're going to move you towards the exit, please. Well, my friends, you have taken a small adventure to the end of the Run Run Live podcast, episode 4-403. And it's, you know, it's a rough stretch for me this time of year. I've got Valentine's Day, my wife's birthday, and... And our wedding anniversary, it's all in the same three-week period. I'll tell you, it's a dark time where the alpha male must stick to the shadows and hunt carefully. A time fraught with peril. And like I said, we are two months out from the Boston Marathon. And I have been doing some, trying to, do some daily blogging of my workouts and other little tidbits from my days on my website, runrunlive.com. If anyone is interested, the challenge I have is that I'm usually writing these posts at night, right after my workout, when I'm half asleep and brain dead. So, you know, that point in the evening, I'm doing a lot of monosyllabic grunting, and that doesn't translate too well into prose. I've been challenged to keep up with the podcast for a few reasons, tactical reasons. Primarily, I don't have a good place to record anymore. I used to work from home on Fridays, and that was good. But then my wife, she's decided to take Fridays off, so she's podcast blocking all of you. 
I'm actually in a conference room right now in the building I work at. The space that the company, our company has is designed into an old manufacturing space and I don't really have an office. I don't have a real office with like a door. It's an old manufacturing space with a lot of hard surfaces and high ceilings and cement floors and the acoustics are horrible. So we'll test this out, see how it works. I may have to, I may have to break down and build a studio somewhere. Another podcast prohibitor, because I'm used to dropping these on Fridays, right? Is that my coach has been scheduling big workouts for me on Friday. I came in early this morning to hit the treadmill because he gave me a seven by seven minutes at 5k pace, which is not an easy workout with the warm up and the cool down and the get ready and the shower. You're at well over an hour and a half, closer to two hours. And having these long, hard workouts hanging over my head on Friday screws up my schedule and my head. I had a, <laughs> I had a video shoot in the office today. We did a video shoot. So I had to, uh, I had to get cleaned up after my workout. And of course, no matter how much time you spend wandering around the house preparing stuff, you know, you get your work stuff, you get your gym stuff, you always forget something. And this morning it was a belt, which was a problem because I'm so lean right now, my pants are falling off me. I had to have my wife run a belt over, which is a good thing. It was her day off. (laughs) And so this week with Sunday's two and a half hour long run, it'll put me up over 50-ish miles for the week. So, so far so good. Now, you may have thought that this message of the don't give a F book was a bit depressing. But the power of that message is a, it's a reset, a reset to reality and critical thinking. So when you're forced to confront the fact that life is suffering and you're not all that special and none of it is going to matter in a hundred years anyway, it frees you. It frees you Not to take yourself so damn seriously. It frees you to choose what makes you happy. It frees you to execute with attachment, and that enables you to get stuff done, important stuff that will, at the end of the day, make a difference and ease your own and other people's suffering. So detaching helps you to find and own your own journey. At least that's what my dog's breakfast is telling me i'll see you out there and then he thought that he just couldn't die so ned he laughed so hard it made him cry And we're recording. And we are recording. Oh, come on. There we go. Perfect. All right. Got to have your microphone right. Microphone. How's the echo in here? Echo, 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 echo. The chair's noisy, too. Hold on. <laughs>